Welcome to the Gen X Mixtape, the nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This is part two of the Gen X Mixtape's Valentine's Day special, where Alan and I will be curating side B of a mixtape of 80s couple skate classics. Welcome back, Alan. Welcome back. Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, you as well. I think I distinctly remember a Valentine's Day in high school where we celebrated like an anti-Valentine's Day. Oh, yes. Because all of our friends in our small circle had been, well, let's just say dumped. And (laughs) and I believe one of our friends gave out black Black carnations or black roses roses. to uh, all the girls that had dumped him in his his tenure of of dating. (laughs) We had a cake, too, I think. Yeah, we did. Yeah, it, it was it was like a <laughs> black black day. I think we called. Yeah, it. Yeah, it was black day, and the, yeah, the cake. I, it, it looked like you know a an over the hill like a fortieth you know midlife crisis <laughs> birthday cake, and had a grave like a tombstone on it. Or well, happy black like day that. as well as happy Valentine's Day. Yes, yeah, um, <laughs> and you know, I I thought briefly. I didn't go with it because of our our theme, of course. But I thought briefly about including a breakup tune here or there, just because not everyone is celebrating today, but. Uh, again, doing a breakup theme this summer for season two, I I just decided to stick with our theme and make these, you know, happy fairy tale uh, like in 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 theme. So, um, yeah, Valentine's Day. I, I just <laughs> did you go into di- diabetic shock this week uh, going over these songs because I think I did. Yeah, uh, it's it's very syrupy sweet. Yes. Um, although you know this, I'm looking at my list and it is. Some of it is very painful. There are a few here that uh, I stand by that not not many, but but a, a handful that I think are still of of you know merit. Um, I don't know. I'm curious to see what you came up with. So. Well, I have one on here that's just a great great song. Um, I have one over here that that's a really really good song, and the <laughs> the rest pretty much fall into the category yeah. that we described last week. Well, I'll tell you what. I have one here that I I would never never have included on our podcast and I, I, I'm still in shock that it, that it, I have it here before me. <laughs> so, like my Glenn Medeiros pick? <laughs> uh, well, no, Glenn Medeiros I can at least, you know, it's easy listening. This one is just, it, it, it was everything that we rebelled against in, in you know, oh boy. The, the 80s musical. I'm anxious to hear uh, what that one is. Yeah. 80s musical narrative. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. So, well, I believe it's side B, so I believe that's my turn to be in. Yes, sir. All right. Well, this this is just a great, great song. Uh, I almost feel bad. In fact, I, I actually removed it from the list originally because I'm like, I can't put this song on here because it's so good. But it was. It was an 80s couple skate slow dance classic. It really was. And so I, you can be both things. It is possible. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, there, there were a handful of good songs. It, uh, it came out in 1986. Um, from a band that had an eight-year, an eight-year sabbatical from their second album, their first and second albums, which were huge in the late seventies, and their third album that came out in nineteen eighty-six. Part of it had to do with legal troubles. Part of it had to do with solo um, projects. Some of it had to do with legal battles because of solo projects. Um, but eventually, Boston. Oh. Eventually, Boston came out with Third Stage uh-huh. in 1986. If this is what I think it is, it is one of the most beautiful songs yes. of the 80s. It was a, a song that was actually recorded 
six years prior to its release. But like I said, because of the delay of the album, it sat. So this is a song that really was recorded around 1980 which kind of puts it in perspective. Yeah. But because of the timeless nature of the song, you could have told me 86, you could have told me 95, you could have told me just about any era, and I would have believed you. Because it's Boston, and Boston's pretty consistent in their sound. They really In, in are. a good way, yeah. in a good way. Um, anyway, uh, this song in 1984 actually leaked to a few radio stations, and uh, people were very, um, people really anticipated its release, and so finally 1986, the song Amanda yeah. was, was released. Um, despite having no video on MTV. So this is 1986. It, it was not that rare in the early 80s for some artists not to have videos because established artists at the time felt like they really didn't need to make videos because people knew who they were already and videos were kind of to introduce people to new artists. Um, by 1986, pretty much everybody made a video. Boston, however, did not uh, make a video and yet this song still went to number one. So we continue our streak of number one songs here. What a great, great song. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's one that I actually, it was on my radar. Um, it was, uh, I took it out because of, well, it's name specific. Um, but, you know, I even then I really kind of debated uh, because I do. I love the song, but um, I never dated an Amanda. <laughs> so I had no personal connection, you know, in my, in my romantic history uh, from the time, but yeah, no, it, it definitely has a place here. It, it's just, it's one for the ages. It's timeless. I did also avoid name-specific songs for a while, but then I ended up thinking, well, you know what? There's, they still work, right? We're, uh, it's more about the song itself. Now, I did keep most of them love songs. There were some really good, like uh, Careless Whisper, by the way, was a great, you know, couple skate song. Oh, yeah. In no way a love song. It's it's, it's a song of regret. Um, so I did keep some of those out, but uh, I decided to... There's another name song on my... Maybe even be now at this point on my actual list. Yeah, it's on my actual list now because we've had so many matches. Okay. So I do have two name songs, and that is one of them. But I do remember this was, I think, right about... This was the fall, I believe, of our transition from elementary school to middle school, okay? And I remember that was a big time because uh, we had, what, 
how many elementary schools that fed into um, our different middle schools. So we probably had like right. eight, eight or 10 schools that fed into middle school. And anytime you go, you know, for instance, uh, middle school to high school or high school to college, you have an opportunity uh, to kind of reinvent yourself. Mm-hmm. And boy, that was a big time, 12, 13 year old me. Um, of course, there were all these girls now that you got to be rejected. A lot more girls to be rejected by. <laughs> yes, there were. And there was a particular young lady I remember specifically. I ran into her at the Stark County Fair uh, that fall, and this song reminds me of that. So I must have been listening to this in heavy rotation at the time. Okay. Yeah. No, it's a great choice. I didn't go roller skating with her. I, don't, I think maybe by seventh grade, our roller skating days were... Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe maybe still with, with the church youth group, we'd go have some, some fun in, you in know, middle I school. Mem- in middle school, I remember going a couple of times, um, primarily I, the band. <laughs> we, we would have like skating nights where we're like, you know, our, our junior, well, it wasn't middle school, we went to a junior high, but the junior high school band would have, would host like skate nights or something, you know, to that, uh, in, in that context. And um, I remember going a couple of times, but again, I really did not get out on the rink i just sat there and watched <laughs> yeah. but um well, even yeah. dances you, you went to some of them I and we went to different now we went to the same elementary we went to different middle different school or middle junior school, high right. as you said yeah. um, um but i know we had our, our dances in our little tiny box of a, of a gym um, yeah. ours were actually in the cafeteria because oh. our cafeteria was you know it, it was it was good size and I don't, I don't know if the athletic department just didn't want us scuffing up their gym floor or what it was but um yeah, no, I I went to every dance. I, why not? It was, you know, my friends went and we just kind of sat there and socialized. It's kind of like when I go now as a teacher and watch a lot of my students at dances and they just sit at the tables on their phones and I'm thinking, why did you come? <laughs> but but looking back, we did the same thing. We yeah, sat we down and we just talked the whole time. Um, but yeah, I remember, you know, the middle school dances, uh, junior high dances, that was, you know, you're you're walking into that era of Money Money by Billy Idol. And oh, yeah. Mem- remember uh, Jermaine Stewart, You Don't Have to Take Your Clothes yeah, Off. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah <laughs> to have yeah. a good time. Yeah. I remember that one playing in rotation. And they would turn it off halfway through because we yeah, kept we, shouting. Yeah, we were shouting uh, some obscenities during the uh, break, yeah. during the course. Um, but nonetheless... You um, shook me all night long for some reason was a staple too, ACDC. Yeah, well, that still is. Yeah. It's, I, I know you're not an ACDC fan. I'm not either particularly, but that song... It'll bring them to the dance floor every time, no matter the age. So. I do remember, though, there was one girl that was out of my league, completely out of my league, um, but that didn't usually stop me. <laughs> and uh, and I asked her to dance, and she she said yes. And not even, not that sort of kind of like, uh, yeah, I probably should because I don't want to be a jerk kind of yes, but an actual like, yeah, sure, I'll dance with you. It was awesome. And I remember dancing, and I remember um, one of my friends or whatever who was on the the wall, you know, giving me the thumbs up kind of thing. And, yeah. Yeah, those are kind of cool times. Is that your freaks and geeks moment? It was kind of a freaks and geeks moment. <laughs> kind of, yeah. It's very nice. All right. Well, that was my first pick. Amanda right. by Boston, which is just a great, great, great song. Timeless. Okay. Are you ready? Because Is this the one? Yeah, I will never. Drum roll? I'm, in fact, I never even want to speak of this again. <laughs> Uh-oh. Okay? Uh-oh. We are going to pretend that this never happens. Watch. Watch. It'll be on my list. It is the number one song okay from 1989 we are at the end of the decade Ooh, wait a minute let me see if i have any i don't have any that late so no, well, we're safe okay I, I guarantee you don't have this i don't think you could fall this low <laughs> so um all right uh, here we go it is by the new kids on the block whoa whoa <laughs> what are you doing man hey this is a respectable family show it is but if we are doing couple skates oh my goodness at the end of the decade this was wait, wait. i don't even think i can name a new kids on the block song 
Really? I can name three or four. But Wait, let me try. Let me try. Okay. okay. Is there one called Step by Step? Uh, step by Step, I believe, was... <laughs> That's about as close as I can get to New Kids on the Block. Let's see. No, don't worry about it. Don't even look it up. No, I'm, I am no. curious. Uh, step by Step <laughs> was by... Um, it was New Kids on the oh, Block. Oh, look at that. It was. <laughs> okay, there... There you go. So, I, if nothing one. else, folks, you just learned that I am not a fan of New Kids on the Block because I had no and idea. somehow I knew the answer. I at least knew one of their songs. You anyway. named one? I don't even... I, I I have no idea. What did you pick? I'm sure I'll groan as soon as you say it. Oh, you're going to groan. I groaned saying it. I chose I'll Be Loving You Forever. I don't even... I couldn't even hum that to you. Uh, I'm sure if I hear it... Once yeah, I hear it, I'll... I'll yeah, know. when we hit play here, uh, yo, yay. Oh. You're right. We rallied against them pretty hard in oh, high school. Oh, we did. Yeah. That I, was the enemy. That, the boy band. Oh, the boy band. Because rock was dying right before our eyes. Nirvana, you know, had not quite Nirvana? hit yet. They were out there in Seattle, but they had not hit yeah. the public consciousness. Well, that was our senior year. 91 was grunge. That was Nevermind was 91. Yeah, but we were but, in college. Yeah. 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 So, oh, yeah, the boy bands, Backstreet Boys, New Kids. Oh, I, I just... Again, we will never speak of this again. <laughs> but I'll be loving you forever. Um, this this nineteen eighty nine ballad from New Kids on the Block was the third single from their second album called Hangin' Tough. Um, was tough spelled T U F F? No, okay. I just imagined it that way no, in my head. No, they they spelled it correctly. Um, it was the band's first single to hit number one on the Billboard Hot one hundred, and the hit was written by music producer Maurice Starr, who formed. New Kids on the Block in the 80s on the back of his success with fellow Boston group New Edition. Um, New Edition, not quite as cringeworthy. I Mr. Telephone Man. Mr. Telephone Man. Cool it now. Cool Bobby it Brown now. was a member yeah, of yeah. New Edition. I, I actually, I, I still to this day kind of groove on New Kids on the Block. I have, I have no animosity. Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait you, you mean? Or I'm, um, <laughs> wow, Freudian slip. Uh, New Edition. <laughs> I still groove on New Edition. No, I do not. I do not groove on New Kids on the Block. Um, wow, we can edit that out, <laughs> so, or not. Um, all right. So while while the Quintet's uh, first self-titled record didn't garner much attention, the group got to work on their follow-up album in '88, and uh, Star presented uh, the ballad to Jordan Knight during a session at the producer's Ramshackle Roxbury studio. According to bandmate Donnie Wahlberg, uh, every now and then, who, who actually went on to a, a rather prolific yeah, film. Oh yeah. uh, Bo- all, both Wahlbergs. Yeah, Donnie but, and Marky both. Donnie and Mark both. Or was Marky Mark a different? Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. He was separate, but yeah, he, was he was related yeah, to. Yeah, okay. yeah the brothers. Uh, but according to bandmate Donnie Wahlberg, every now and then Star would pop up out of the blue with a song. He would say, we're going to meet Friday night and record song A. And then he would show up randomly and go, no, we're going to do song B. I got a new song. Um, and I'll Be Loving You Forever was one of those songs. He just came out of nowhere with it, saying, I got a hit record, we got to move on it right away. And whenever those strokes of genius happened, the band, of course, they were a boy band, manufactured no less, they, they just kind of went along with it. Uh, Star apparently had penned the track um, with Motown legend Smokey Robinson in mind. But with New Kids on the Block, his priority at the time, he decided Jordan Knight would be the perfect vocalist for the song. So for 30 years now, Jordan Knight has performed this ballad, I'll Be Loving You Forever, to thousands of fans in hundreds of cities around the globe. But it was the sweet and spontaneous time that he serenaded the woman he actually will be loving forever 
at their wedding, which brought the new kids on the block star to, to tears. And Knight um, apparently um, sang the hit at his 2004 nuptials to Evelyn Melendez, and it was entirely impromptu. There was a piano on wheels, and a friend of his pushed in the piano and said, and now Jordan's going to sing I'll Be Loving You Forever. He kind of put Knight on the spot, so Jordan Knight sang it, and uh, Knight has since said that when he was singing, he was literally feeling it and meaning it, perhaps for the very first time. He said he, his bride could tell uh, that he meant it. They both cried during the performance, and Knight has since said that it was one of the most beautiful moments of his life. Please redeem me. Well, mine aren't any much better here. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> boy, when, when you have a huge number two hit tied into a huge hit movie um, and you hit the world by storm, what's there to do than just make a bunch of mediocre top ten hits for the rest of your career? You could do worse than top ten hits. You really could do worse. True. Um, this one here from Survivor. Is it the search is over? Is the search is over? Yeah, we have a match? Yeah. No, we, we don't. But <laughs> we I, don't. Okay. I, I thought about it. It was on my short list. Um, Survivor really became the like '80s balladier, you know, they, they really kind of it. power ballad type stuff here. Um, and this one, the search is over, is that prototypical '80s ballad. Uh, they couldn't quite, you know, match that number two performance of Eye of the Tiger, but it was their third top ten hit in a row, reaching number four on Billboard. And I thought, you know, whatever happened to Survivor? I mean, I know. The lead singer, uh, Jimmy Jameson, passed away right. a couple years ago. Um, By 86, 87, they had just yeah. disappeared, really. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully they invested their profits well and held on to their publishing rights. Yeah. Well, w- when was Rocky Four? Because Burning Heart was the last... Yeah, you're right. Rocky Four was 85 or 86. Yeah, that was the last I remember of them. So, so yeah, you're right. They, yeah. They, okay, yeah. yeah. How can I convince you what you see? Doubting what you feel I was always reaching You were just a girl I knew I took for granted The friend I have in you I was living for a dream Loving for a moment Taking on the
Search is Over is just one of those songs that um, when you hear it, it's like, yep, yep, that's an 80s slow song, couple skate song. It's not a bad song. It's not a great song. It's not a song that I'm going to just turn on unless it's, you know, I have some nostalgic 80s yeah. podcasts that I have or um, podcasts, um, not even mixtapes. What am I thinking? Playlists <laughs> on Spotify that yeah. once in a while I'll throw on the car with my wife if we want to kind of relive our 80s days. I think it's on there. So Okay. Well, I will say it's a song that I would not turn off. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going to pursue it, but if it came on the radio, if it, it came on Sirius XF, XM, I, I would not, you know, would not turn it off. Um, it's pretty melodramatic. It, well, it is. <laughs> it is. But it's, there, there's, there, there are much worse. <laughs> so, um, no, Survivor. Yeah, it's a band I, you know, it, it you hear Survivor, you think I of the Tiger. You right. know? And in fact, it's easy to forget they had other top oh, 10 hits. They had the song High on You, I think yeah. was the name. And uh, there was another, there were another yeah, two they, or three big. Yeah, they had a few. But it's, yeah, they'll, they'll always be remembered for the lone, you know, theme to Rocky Three. Um, okay. My next one is a fun song. It's one that I'm sure played during Couple Skate. Um, I, it had to have. Um but I threw it on here in part because I, I kind of got to the point where I just needed, I needed a breather, <laughs> if, if you will. And this song, it was I, I rediscovered it um, when I was, you know, just playing through and, and trying to determine a song list for for our uh, Valentine's Day mixtape. And once I rediscovered it and listened to it, I listened to it again, I listened to it again. I couldn't stop listening to it. I fell in love with the song all over again. Um, so I, I I went ahead, I threw it in. It's, uh, you know, I it was a ballad. It was a top 10 ballad from 1983. I have no doubt that couples skated to it. But this one is just fun. And I, I, I just love the tune. It is actually a one-hit wonder by a well-known comedic actress named Tracy Ullman. Oh, yes. This was on my very, very, very first 80s love song list. Was it? Yes. Yeah. It's called They Don't Know. Yeah. And I just, I had forgotten all about this song. And then I, you know, I just played it randomly as I was looking through. And I, I just fell in love with it all. Paul right McCartney now. was in the video. Yeah, Paul McCartney's in the video. Um I think more than anything, it's the 60s vibe. I mean, it just has that 60s girl group, you know, feel to it, which I'm a sucker for the girl groups. We've talked about that before. Um, this song, it was written and first recorded by Christy McCall in 1979. However, a strike at her distributors prevented it from being released as a single, although it was popular on UK radio. And Tracy's version, however, uh, was a hit, and Christy McCall provided backing vocals on Almond's version. So the B-A-B-E, okay, that's heard just before the, the last verse, and no, if you won't sing, I won't sing either, so I'm just going to say that by, you know, uh, by syllable, if you will. Um, but it's heard just before the last verse. That's actually sung by Christy McCall. Uh, the song is about a girl who hears from lots of people that the guy she's seeing isn't right for her. She feels that they just don't understand because they've never heard of love. And um, Christy McCall wrote this when she was just 17. She was the daughter of folk singer-songwriter Ewan McCall, who wrote Roberta Flack's First Time Ever I Saw Your Face, actually. Um, in December 2000, she tragically died uh, after being hit by a speedboat in the Caribbean. And after her death, Tracy Allman took part in a tribute concert for her. It was the first time that Allman had sung this song in you know, well over 25 years. 
Uh, Tracy Allman, of course, British comedy actress. She moved to the U.S., started her own TV series, The Tracy Allman Show, which was one of the first shows on the Fox network. And that, of course, is how the world was introduced to The Simpsons. Yep. Um, but this was her biggest hit. It was her only hit. And yeah, you're right. The video features that, that cameo by Paul McCartney uh, as a character named Paul. Very creative and original there. Uh, he's seen driving a car with Allman in the passenger seat. At the time, Tres- Tracy Allman was actually filming a role in McCartney's movie. Give my regards to Broad Street. Broad yeah. Street. Yeah. Um, so that, that's how the two you know, arranged for him to be in the video. I just, I love the song, and I'm, I'm sure they couple skated to it. it well, like, I didn't know if it was too fast. I, I, I didn't include it, because I thought, man, this is maybe a little too up-tempo, because I had I another one I, I, like this that I didn't include. To me, it's, it's still slow enough. I mean, it's it's, it's a ballad, um, because I had some that were more up-tempo, and I, right. I just, I cut those. But yeah, one, like I said, I, I, once I reintroduced myself to the song, I couldn't let it go. So it, it made my list, and it's like the one song that I feel kind of redeems. Well, it's a big throwback to early rock and roll, too. You it, know? it is, yeah. Now, that one I almost included, but I thought maybe it was too up-tempo. I'm glad you included it, though. The other one I was going to include, but it was the very first song on the very first mixtape that I made for my now wife. And I made her, I think, 12 or 13 mixtapes in the time that we were dating for six years. I, I did the same for my wife. Well, well hell, I made mixtapes for every girl <laughs> I was interested in, you know, since the age of 12. <laughs> so, but, but the very first song and the very first mixtape, I thought maybe was too up tempo for this, so I didn't include it. But um, Do You Believe in Love by Hugh Lewis in the mix? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, great, great song. song. Yeah. I, I, it made its appearance on a few of my, my mixtapes. That, and I, I always went with heart to What About Love? That one was always, in fact, I remember uh, a girlfriend in high school uh, who, you know, we were kind of on the fence and, and I included that one and was she was playing it when I was there with her. She's actually one of our top fans. I'm not going to call her out. Um, still a very good friend. But I remember What About Love came on and she looked at me and said, you're good at this. Which, like, I was elated. I'm like, yes, I am the mixtape king, you know. <laughs> so, but Do You Believe in Love? Yeah, that's one that always made an appearance yeah that one's too fast I, I wouldn't have included but isn't it Huey. about the same as uh, maybe maybe it's a little faster than uh, Tracy it, Allman's no it's faster okay. yeah, Tracy's she, she's it's a slower song but I, I don't know I don't yeah, regret it okay. I, no I it's wanted, good I wanted to include it. the tune we're so. on the same same wavelength there because I was listening to it this week alright your turn alright well um, this is one of those a reappearance of a particular person but because the one song was from the person's band on the label and this is from a solo project so we're allowed right we're allowed to do that yes do you think we have a match I think we do 
Okay. The one song I wanted to choose from this performer, I didn't because I might include it for the movie. Then we don't have a match. Okay. <laughs> because I, if it's what I'm thinking, I, I included it because I just, it would have fit for the movie, but I thought it, this is a far more appropriate for uh, Maybe. I, yeah, and, and I like that song better. <laughs> we better just tell the audience what we're talking yeah. about. Okay. You're, you're talking Glory of Love from Karate yes. Kid 2. Glory of Love is, yeah, that is on my list. And, and I want to include that so bad, but I'm like, yes, but maybe I'll hold out for the movie. So, um the movie episode so if you want we can go with that one okay yeah it's my very next pick but this one was a number one song this one was huge this one was huge for a lot of reasons the one I'm going to choose here Uh, in 1986 was this the duet yes and next time I fall yes yep okay yes Amy Grant next time I fall in love Uh, yet another number one single Uh, Billboard has this listed as one of the 25 top love song duets of all time the songwriters composed the song with Peter Cetera and Chicago in mind. So these two songwriters said, you know, this is perfect for Chicago. Um, and then they discovered that Cetera had left the band. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, well, crap then. So they sent it around. They sent the demos around to a few places. Well, the demo landed on, guess who? David Foster's desk. Yep, yep. yep. And Peter Cetera was visiting his pal, David Foster, and he was kind of looking through the desk and found these demos and started throwing a few in. And he heard the one that was... He didn't know, but the one that was written for him, Next Time I Fall in Love. And he said, hey, this is a great song. I want to record this for my solo album. Um, but he said, you know what, though? I think it should be a duet. And so David Foster thought, oh, that's interesting. So they got hold of the songwriters. They said, yep, Peter wants to do this. He wants to be a duet. What do you think? You know, he doesn't want someone really obvious to, like, like Cher would have been an obvious choice at the time. Um, I think he actually did a duet with Cher. Um, from the from the, another one I didn't include because it was from a movie from Chances Are. Um, I'm drawing a blank on that one. After all, I think the name of the song. Is. Okay. Anyway, anyway so um, somebody said I think that one of the songwriters suggested Amy Grant. Uh, Amy Grant, of course, um, had her start in contemporary Christian music, and at the time in the mid '80s, kind of wanted to transition over into the pop scene. Baby, baby. And prior to that, right? <laughs> yeah. She, yeah. Uh, prior to that, she even had a pop album before the big baby, baby hit. But uh, prior to that, it was all contemporary Christian, and so she um, agreed to to do this duet as a way to kind of introduce herself to the to the mainstream audience, and it went to number one. I love it. It's a great song. It's sappy. It is. It's corny. It, yeah. But it, I like the melody. You know, it's one that, because I, I talked this list over with my wife. I, I did. And she gave me a whole bunch of suggestions, only a couple of which I took. <laughs> but, but you know, in, in hindsight, she would have been, her list would have been 
just as apropos. Um, but she actually, when we were talking about Peter Cetera, and yeah, that duet came up, and she just gushed about Amy Grant, and I, I just kind of kind of laughed because I never thought of Amy Grant as this major, you know, pop. Oh, celebrity. she had she had her pop moments in she, the late eighties. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, and Gail, uh, yeah, my wife just she, yeah, she. Uh, she had, she had a, some very strong opinions on what I should and should not include. I listened to some of her opinions. Well, we, <laughs> we can all. discuss it. We'll get when you get to Glory Love. We'll we'll discuss it. But I love Glory Love. Okay, that's even more nostalgic for me. So, my turn. Yep. My next pick is Glory of Love. Oh, there we go. Peter Um Yeah, and again, I know that I said... Um, Peter Cetera's you know, popping up a lot on this list. Really what does that tell you? Yeah. <laughs> and I, again, it's partially my own doing because I texted you and said we need to steer clear of movie tunes because we're doing a movie series this, this summer. And then you go and include a bunch of movie tunes. I did, but <laughs> again, I you know this one I think... I may genuinely have included in the movie uh, episode when when the time comes, but it just felt more at place here. That this felt like it was, no, it it works, was yeah. really destined to be. I mean, there are plenty of '80s movie that, soundtracks. Oh, yeah. We're not going to run out. <laughs> so, um, all right. So, yeah, "Glory of Love," Peter Cetera. It came out in '86, hit number one. Um, the ballad was Peter Cetera's first solo single after leaving Chicago the previous year. Um, it was the theme, of course, to the film The Karate Kid Part Two, and it fit the movie perfectly. Um, the song quickly became a favorite at weddings and proms across America. Um, it's a rather steadfast love song with some bold promises. You know, I'm a man who will fight for your honor. I'll be the hero that you're dreaming of. Uh, Satara is certainly kind of laying it on the line, willing to do whatever it takes for the glory of love. I mean, it's it's a very. I'm guessing though he watched it with the film and he wrote it with the film in mind. Yeah, yeah, he I, because it sounds like he was yeah, alluding to it, it. He had to have the yeah, film. I am. Um, I mean, I didn't find that uh, in my research per se, but you know, it, it's so. You know, it, it's almost. I, I don't. You could even say it's a bit dated, you know, now with, you know, female empowerment being what it is, which I champion, of course, but, you know, the whole damsel in distress and the knight in shining armor and, you know, but it, but it's just a beautiful song. I, I love the song. Um, the song was actually written by Satara. Um, his wife at the time, Diane Nini and David Foster, here we go again, who produced Chicago's highly successful albums, Chicago 16 and 17, uh, when Satara was with the group. Satara was asked by a friend to, to write the song. Oh, here it is. Yeah, so you were right. He, he was asked to write the love song for the Karate Kid sequel, and he was shown part of the movie. So yeah, you're, you're right about that. Um, I forgot that that... Yeah, okay. Uh, he's claimed that the song was destined to be a hit, though, whether it was used for the film or not, and he's probably, you know, 100% correct on that. Chicago actually marginalized their, ex their exalted horn section, on the on the mellow '80s hits, uh, when Satara kind of helmed the group, um, there are horns on this track though, which Chicago's trombone player, his name is James Panko, he resentfully noted in a 2000 interview with Goldmine. Uh, he said Peter hated horns, um, refused to allow us to include them once we hit the '80s uh, in our music. But then he went out and made records with horns on them. And he said, look at The Glory of Love, the first single he made after he left the band. It's, it's a Chicago production, he said. I mean, come on, Michael Omarchian put a Chicago horn section on there. I might as well have written it myself and played it. Tonight it's very clear As we're both lying here There's so many things I want 
You know, I'd like to hear. I'd like to hear. Chicago. Maybe they do this live now without Peter Cetera, playing like in their '70s style with the with the big brass section, um, playing some of the '80s songs rearranged. You know, like I can think of like you're the inspiration. I can kind of imagine that with a horn section. I could imagine it as a jazz tinged, you know, brass. Yeah, oh, that yeah. would be good. I would have to look into that. That would actually, that would save the song. Actually, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I've, well, I've never seen Chicago live in any of its various, you know, combinations. Chicago is the kind of band where there were more people on stage than I shouldn't say in the audience. Not that, that I'm, what I was trying to say is that they had like yeah, it was just twenty seven people yeah, in the expansive. band. Um, yeah, and another band like that would be the Doobie Brothers. Yeah, they always right. seem to have like, you know, a hundred people Funkadelic. on stage. Yeah, yeah. Funk, Funkadelic, yeah. Um, so anyway, um, interestingly, you know, concerning Glory of Love, a 2019 episode of the Netflix series Cobra Kai, which of course picks up the Karate Kid story, uh, is titled Glory of Love, but the song does not appear in the episode. Right. But the Chicago song you're the inspiration <laughs> right does. does so there we go <laughs> what tells you it was cheaper to get that song <laughs> exactly so very good good I'm glad we got that one on there alright alright this next one is a good it's a good song it's a good song it came out in the late 80s when I wasn't listening to a lot of like I said pop music um, but looking back on this song it's a really really good song and I didn't hate it at the time I just wasn't as interested right in the style of music um, what's great about this and, and, and I, I wish I would have paid a little more attention to this band because now I look back and the more I read about it and of course in some of the recent stuff the lead singer of this band has done um, really really it's a huge homage to a lot of the classic 60s stuff that I love okay in fact this song has been described as having the birds and the Beatles influences which I never in a million years caught when I listened to it back in the 80s. And this week, going back listening to it, I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, I hear that in the bridge. I hear that in that particular... I'm like, yeah, totally. I'm talking about the Bangles. We have a match. Eternal Flame? Yep. Yes. I thought that's where you were going. It, it, it was definitely written in tribute to the Beatles. Yes. Yeah. Yes, totally. Yeah, Eternal Flame came out in 88. Um, not, again, another number one song. Yes. Okay. We should have just done a number one song. We could have. We could have done. <laughs> very easily. Um, very, very popular love ballad in the 1980s. Um, classic, classic song from the Bengals. Kind of a departure because they had done a lot of more kind of upbeat, uh, Walk Like an Egyptian. And um, what was uh, the one they did? Hey, well, they did a cover of Hazy Shade of Winter right. from Simon and Garfunkel. They had In Your Room. They In Your had, Room, uh, which I think Manic, was on the... Manic Monday, which is a Prince song. Prince song. And so Eternal Flame was a bit of a departure, um, but it did. It, does, it retains those hints, and, and, and I think you introduced me to the fact that uh, Susanna um, Hoff's later stuff, uh, in fact, with Matthew Sweet, I think they did a bunch of like yeah. '60s covers and so forth. Yeah, they have they have three uh, three albums out now called Under the Covers, and they're and and they're Volume One was '60s music, Volume Two is '70s, and Volume Three okay. is '80s okay. covers. I, I love the two of them. In fact, oh. hands down, I you know I there are a handful of Beatles cover covers that I I do genuinely love, but most Beatles covers I'm just I I'm like why just you know defer to the original. But the two of them on Volume One, they have a version of "And Your Bird Can Sing" mm. that is just 
phenomenal. I love Susanna Hoffs. She's great. I mean, I, I've loved her since the Bengals, and she's also an artist. I mean, she gets more beautiful. With she's really aged well. Yeah, I mean, she <laughs> she, she really looks has. better now than she did. I saw her a couple 80s. years ago on the Rock Hall uh, ceremony. Yeah, and I'm like, who is that? Yeah, she's like, Susanna Hoffs. I'm she, like, wow. I mean, she's she's all she was cute in the '80s. She has dropped it gorgeous now, but yes. but just she she has so much talent. I mean, she's just a phenomenal artist. I wouldn't have thought of this. I wouldn't have thought of this as a um, skate song or a couple uh, dance, uh, slow dance song. But when I was kind of going through my 80s stuff and I came across it and I listened to it, I'm like, yeah, this this fits. I'm sure they would have been couple skating to this song oh, no doubt. in 1988. Yep. Um, fun fact. Fun fact that I like to imagine. <laughs> Producer David Searson. We're talking about the prank? Yes. Yes. <laughs> prank Susanna Hoffs into recording the vocal completely naked. Yep. Convincing her that Olivia Newton-John recorded in the same manner, yep, and attributed to her success. <laughs> yeah, could you imagine being in the booth, the sound booth that day? Oh, yeah. anyway. Um, well, you know, it's really interesting too because yeah, we have a match. Um, Eternal Flame, you know, it was actually inspired by two Eternal Flames. Yes, I don't know if you know one that. which was out when they went to visit it. Yeah, it, which um, yeah, um, the Bengals they had a private uh, official tour of Graceland in Memphis, and when they made it uh, outside. Um, to the the Garden of Memories, the Eternal Flame at, at Elvis's gravesite was out <laughs> because it was raining that day, which she found kind of comical. And then she was telling, uh, I think it was her co-writer was Billy Einstein, uh, Billy Steinberg, Billy Steinberg. She was telling Steinberg the story about the Eternal Flame that was not very eternal at all, and he it made him immediately think of his sanctuary. He was. Um, at the synagogue when right. he was younger because he was yep. Jewish. Susanna Hoffs is Jewish mm-hmm. as, as well. So she immediately, you know, could could relate to a story about the, in Hebrew it's called Ner Tamid. It's the eternal light in every Jewish sanctuary. So yeah, those two songs actually inspired the, you know, the the, the lyrics itself. And yeah, I and mean, this is a song that's, it's it's magical. It well, really is. Then when they were touring Graceland, I guess the the box it was like a plastic box that it was supposed to be encased in. Yeah, and it was raining really hard, and yep. it was flooded. And they asked the tour guide. They said, "Well, what's in there?" And he goes, "The Eternal Flame." Yeah, <laughs> great story. <laughs> great irony. Yeah, um, but no, Eternal Flame. I mean, it's simple. It's pure. It's melodic. I mean, it it just it's almost a lullaby, really, in in its production value. And yeah, it is. It's very Beatlesque. Um, 
you know, it, it for one thing, it it doesn't have a traditional chorus, which is very much in keeping with a lot of the Beatles' music. Um, you know, it, it they basically uh, they they add a bridge after two verses, followed by a guitar solo, and then they repeat the bridge. And then the Beatles did that all the time, especially Rubber Soul and Revolver. You know, that that particular era of the Beatles' music. Um, but yeah, no, we have a match. Right. I'm kind of surprised. I didn't think you'd have that one. Really? Yeah. I, I don't know why. I just didn't think you'd have it. It was an alternate that, uh, well, I'm into my alternates now. So, um, no, it's not. No, that was actually on my list. That was on my list. Because now I'm getting to my alternates. Okay. I only have three. Um, I have, yeah, three left. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, I, I'm running out of alternates here <laughs> as well. Um, well, ironically enough, my next pick was Eternal Flame by the, oh. by the Bangles. So there we go. I am going to go to my alternates, and I'm going to include here a song that I thought long and hard of including and then didn't, and then I did, and then I didn't. I never left my list, but I, I relegated it to the alternates, and now it's making the episode. It is not a number one hit. In fact, it is the only song released from the album that was not a top 20 hit. It's by Billy Joel from 1983, and it is titled Leave a Tender Moment Alone. Yeah, okay. Um, I, um, you know, I, this one... Uh, this brings back so many, and everybody knows we're Billy Joel obsessives. I mean, we had the artist spotlight, of course, last season. Um, but this song just has so much personal memory for me, and you too. I mean, we've we've shared, we've exchanged stories. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But I've always been that smartass, very you know, off off the cuff, uh, you know, jokester who always seems to open his mouth at the wrong time, crack a joke when it's not the right time to do so. As my wife says, and then you take it too far. Yeah, oh, I <laughs> hear it, it all far. of the time. And, uh, yeah, my wife will be laughing, and then within minutes, you know, she's not speaking to me. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm still, it's a problem I still have to this day. Um, and certainly I had in middle school and high school. Um, you know, I, I just never knew when to stop cracking a joke um joel he, f he followed up the nylon curtain of course with one of his best-selling albums the 50s flavored innocent man um it was without question um you know one of the the i think one of the most beautiful and one of the strongest songs on the album but it only hit at number 27 hmm. it didn't well and and he had all these really high conceptual videos at the time yeah this, this one, one was did, just a live performance yeah, it was just a live performance um but yeah, in fact, I would say the two best songs on the album, they were both ballads. It would be this and, of course, the title track, Innocent Man. Um, which also did not have a, which, have a video at all. Yeah, it didn't a, have one at no all. No video. Um, but that, I think that went to number 10. Yeah, that one was, yeah, it was a top 10 hit. Um, but uh, yeah, I, it's just, it's another fine vocal performance, you know, uh, on the album. It's a sweet ballad about insecurity, uncertainty, and fear in a relationship, something I certainly could relate to. As, as you know a teenager musically it, it's reminiscent of so many types of genres though I mean it's a jazzy tune and it features the harmonica playing of highly regarded jazz musician Toots Tillemans um, it is also reminiscent of the musical style of Stevie Wonder yeah oh yeah um, without question in fact every song on that album we talked about it before every song is a callback to a particular artist and I wanted to see a cover album of those artists performing yeah, the songs exactly that Inspired. Oh, still one of my dreams. But yeah, without question, there's a Stevie Wonder uh, vibe, a flair there. It also sounds vague, vaguely French, or at least I've always thought so. 
uh, the harmonica solo by Thelman's, I've always thought it nicely recalls the accordion solo by Dominic Cartis in the earlier tribute to Old World Vienna in, in some ways. Um, but the Stevie Wonder-esque harmonica, it does feel a bit dated now, as in early 80s, not, not the 50s sound he was intentionally channeling. But that's a minor quibble. I mean, interestingly, I, a few years back, Dave, I, I caught Billy Joel speaking about the song on Sirius XM Radio. And in the interview, he said that the rhythm to the song was like a Burt Bacharach. Back, Bacharach? Bac- Bacharach, yeah. Bacharach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always get the name wrong. Burt Bacharach tune. Uh, he said it was modeled in some ways after what the world needs now. And he, Billy Joel expressed his fondness for Dion Warwick songs like Walk On By, which was written by Bacharach with Hal David. And when I heard him say that, I, I listened to the tune again, and I can kind of see that too. Even though I'm in message of the song it's straightforward you know just leave a tender moment alone don't make a wisecrack don't tell a joke just let the tender moment linger um and and one feels really like billy is singing to himself since like like me and like you he's always been one to make a wise ask you know remark or self-deprecating comment when he does something beautiful or sublime so uh 80s alan did the same thing and from the first time i heard the song i i could easily relate um this one's actually a very personal selection for me, and I did. I, I relegated it to the alternates list, but I am well into my alternates now. So there we go. Yeah, no, that's that's a, that's a classic. I didn't even really consider the greats when coming up with these lists. Really? Yeah. You know, a couple fell in my lap, like I said, the Cindy Lauper one and the, and the Boston one, but I didn't really take a look at some of the the eighties yeah. uh, performers. Like I didn't even look at Joel. You know, he's he's the only one I went with. I mean, at one time I played with the idea I, everyone knows who our uncles are we talked about it before I played with the idea of I'm on fire well that was on my original if it was just love songs right that was and it on was on list, mine too yeah. but then I thought nah, I, I really had a hard time imagining people couple skating to I'm on fire it just didn't feel right so, or my hometown that's yeah, just really not well, the def- definitely not <laughs> so uh, you know maybe brilliant disguise not really no that doesn't work either so right <laughs> alright what do you got okay well um, my next one's also 1988 so it's a contemporary of Eternal Flame. It also has something else in common. The word flame. Uh, I hate this song. <laughs> I love Cheap Trick. Yeah, yeah Cheap Trick yep. is one of my favorites. And I loathe this song. But I would be amiss if I did not include the flame. It is like prime couple skate classic. It's power ballad. And in the 80s was notorious for their power ballads. Despite my disdain for the single. It is yet another song on my list that reached number one on the Billboard charts. It's the band's only number. It's so appalling to me. Of all the great work that Cheap Trick has done throughout the 70s, late 70s, 80s, even some of the stuff into the 90s. Really, really, really good stuff. 
this was their only number one song. But again, Cheap Trick was not designed to be a pop band. They're a pop rock band, but they were never about scoring the hit single. In fact, the much to the dismay of Epic Records, when the album prior to this, I think it was The Doctor, did not produce a hit single. And of course, they did have kind of a rash of, of hit singles in the late 70s, early 80s. Epic was getting a little antsy. And they said, okay, well, well, you know, you may not be interested in commercial success, but we're interested in making money. So we are going to pick your next single for you. I mean, can you imagine that? This is Cheap Trick, and they're being told by their record company oh, that yeah. they have to pick a song. Yeah. So they presented them with two demos, okay? And they said, you pick one of these. So they listened to two of them. Um, I guess they went with the lesser of the two evils <laughs> because they, they they told Cheap Trick this. They said we're gonna we're the other one's going to Chicago is what they said, but we're gonna give you first pick. What was the other one? So if if whatever you pick, then the other one we're not even given. So I guess they at least gave him enough respect to have first pick. Okay. They passed on Look Away. So I think they made, they made the right choice. They made the yeah. So def- Look Away definitely the right choice. Look Away had a, was a huge hit for post uh, Peter Cetera Chicago. Yeah. And. Number one song for, uh, so, you know, the record companies know what they're doing with songwriters, but Cheap Trick has always been about their songwriting, their music. I suppose you got to play the game. Um, when they listened to the first recording of this song, um, Rick Nielsen grabbed the tape, the guitarist Rick Nielsen, the, um, if you're familiar with Cheap Trick, of course he's, or if you've seen the videos, you know, he's oh, yeah. the, the wacky one with the hats and the, oh, yeah. he, he, when he heard this, he pulled the tape out of the uh, machine and he crushed it with his boot. <laughs> That's how he felt about this song. Another night slowly closes in And I feel so lonely Touching me, freezing down my skin I pretend you still hold me I'm going crazy Yeah, I am um, power ballads. Speaking of which, my next one is a contemporary. Uh, it is from 1989. It was a number one hit yet again. Uh, it was by Bandy. Uh, Bad Andy. Bandy. <laughs> Bandy. Bandy. I haven't heard of that. Yeah, group. I'm not sure who that would be. Bad uh, Andy. Bandy. It is. <laughs> It is by Bad English. Oh, yeah. And yeah, um, yeah. it is the very schmaltzy, yeah. when I see you smile. Yeah. Um, 
Bad English, it was a super group, actually. It was comprised of lead singer John Wade and keyboard player Jonathan Kane, bass player Ricky Phillips, and guitarist Neil Sean, and drummer Dean Castronovo. Yeah, I laughed so hard when I saw the band photo because I'm like, when did John Wade become like a, a hair band yeah. well, vocalist? Essentially, what it is, it was Journey... And they subbed uh, John Waite for Steve Perry. Yeah. Journey was on a hiatus in, at this point in the late 80s. And the band, uh, they, they essentially uh, joined John Waite for a very short-lived musical uh, experiment called Bad English. But I think um, that I felt like they were tapping into the hair band scene. Oh, they, they were. Yeah, without question. Um, and, you know, basically... Um, <laughs> It, it was quite an assemblage, really, a musical talent, in fairness. And between them, they wrote 11 of the 13 songs on their self-titled debut album. When I See You Smile wasn't one of them. <laughs> so, somebody else wrote this one. I was not any of the members of the band. The song was written by Diane Warren, if you know mm, that yeah. name, uh, who has a knack for supplying popular rock musicians with uh, you know, sappy uh, love uh, ballad pop hits she wrote uh, nothing's gonna stop us now for Starship who will you run to for hard I don't wanna miss a thing for Aerosmith I was gonna include the Starship one by the way were you but it was a little too upbeat yeah I, I actually was looking that that one I thought I would save for the movie episode perhaps yep. it's from Mannequin, Mannequin right yeah. right um, but she had also written the song Don't Lose Any Sleep which appeared in on Waits 1987 solo album Rover's Return so anyway, the, the band was signed to Epic Records, whose A&R man, uh, Don Grierson, implored them to record a hit. <laughs> so they liked him. So when he suggested When I See You Smile, the band agreed to record it since they knew it would supply Grierson with his hit. Um, and this is by far the biggest hit for for Bad English. I almost said band, Bandy. Bandy. Band, yeah, <laughs> for Bad English. But it's not their only one. Their, their first single was Forget Me Not, which made number 45 in the U.S., um, when I See You Smile was their next release, and uh, Price of Love, which came next, charted at number five. Um, they released one more album called Backlash in 91 before terminating the project. According to Wait, it was fun for a year. <laughs> and then the members all reverted to, to type. Uh, Sean, Castronovo, Kane, they all wanted to return to Journey, and Wait really wanted to go back to his solo career. So according to Wait, they, they made a very valiant attempt at making a second record, but they weren't given enough time to write it. Uh, he said they tried, and they almost made it. When I See You Smile, I remember when it came out, it, it I didn't hate it then as much as I hate it now. <laughs> it's just, it is... I I hated it then, and I hate it yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 it wasn't wasn't you know on my rotation at the time but i, I remember thinking then you know it's pretty it's a pretty sweet sentiment now it is just pure cheese i mean it's just you can feel the cheddar just melting off the edges of the, of the vinyl sometimes i wonder how i'd ever make it through through this world without having you i just wouldn't have a clue Sometimes it seems like this world's closing in on me And there's no way of breaking free And then I see you reach for me Sometimes I wanna give up, wanna give in I wanna quit the fight And then I see you, baby And everything's alright Everything's alright 
I mean, he went from Missing You, which was a great, great song. Great. Oh, yeah, fantastic. Of course, song. like you said, he didn't write it. It sounds kind of like a cheap trick situation. Yeah, very where The record similar. company said, yeah, we can let you make your little project album here, but you got to have one hit and you got to, you know, yeah. pick this song. Very similar, but yet another number one from 89. So. All right. All right. What it is, fits, man. It fits. What's your number 12? My number 12. Oh, really? Am I 12? I thought I still had one. I don't think so. I thought we, let's see. Um, one, two. Three. Oh no, because we because we're going with Glory Love, so I have to. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Good. So you, yeah. All right, so my number five, then. Um, so you know that I, I I don't like hair metal bands. I'm aware. I I kind of like this hair metal band because they were Swedish. <laughs> 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 I don't know what it is that I, I love Swedish. Like there's a whole whole genre of Swedish metal that my my son used to listen to. There is. They're just so unassuming. Like like American metal artists and hair band, like they tried to be intimidating, and Swedish metal artists or hair band uh, artists just kind of have fun, which I like. You know, they still look the same way and they sound the same way, but they're not trying to like I don't know. They're not trying to be tough. They're just having fun. Okay, fair enough. But anyway. <laughs> The, the group is Europe. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew where you were going. So this is the other name. And it's uh, Carrie specific. from 1987. Yeah. Uh, immortal for their sports adopted theme, The Final Countdown, I prefer the third single from their band, from the band's uh, album, The Power Ballad, Carrie. Um, just listening to this makes me want to lace up my skates. And I know I wasn't even skating in, in 87, but um, this is such a power ballad, like 80s power ballad. Yeah. great song I, you know and it was hot off the heels of the final countdown which was right. just huge I mean it was international hit you know I, I I don't maybe I misclassified or I miscategorized I see Europe I would not consider metal I, no no I, hair band I, I said hair band I thought you said hair metal well I so. went to metal because there were a lot of really Swedish metal bands gotcha okay. and so I was saying like I didn't even mind the Swedish metal bands because they kind of okay. have a different okay. vibe than American metal but this is okay. Swedish okay. hair band yeah so I, I misheard yeah I was yeah. going to say it's definitely hair band but um, see I, I don't dislike hair bands I mean all of them I think had their moment they all have a track here a track there I enjoy but um, 
Yeah, I know you are not a fan. I know that. So, but well, I just there. I don't know. I it, like the closest thing I can compare it to is like 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 if you're going for the vibe of like kind of raw, kind of hardcore. Like I'm more of much more of a punk fan when it comes to that vibe. Which I well, yeah, you know, and and so totally. I I just feel like the hair bands were trying really hard to like be these street tough kind of I don't care about you bad boys you know yeah. and it never really worked for me I see that but I mean I you know I can throw on some Van Halen some Def Leppard see I don't consider Van Halen hairband really I, at Motley Crue Poison White Lion uh, White Snake those are the hairbands that I'm talking about oh, Cinderella yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I love Def Leppard um, even Def Leppard I, I I don't really classify in that I mean it's sort of like the Van Halen and Def Leppard were definitely the precursor to okay. the hair bands of the late 80s gotcha I don't really consider them to be in the same vein okay alright I get you um, yeah I, I'm now where would you throw in a Guns N' Roses I love Guns N' Roses they're a hair band too but I don't know Slash is so good Sla- well, Slash and, and their songwriting was so good that duo was just phenomenal that I just I elevate them to more classic rock status okay I follow. They get lumped in with the hair bands, but I'm sorry. The hair band music to me was just pop music dressed up as yeah. being like intimidating or trying to be intimidating, <laughs> but it was yeah. just pop music. Um, I think Guns N' Roses had true rock credentials. Oh, without question. Yeah. So I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't okay. put them. To, It'd be an together. interesting discussion off, off, uh, off episode. So, but, uh, yeah, but this one, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just, I, I, I'm not saying I'm a fan of Europe. I didn't own any of Europe's CDs or anything like that. This was only a song that I heard, I'm sure, on MTV or on the radio. Um, but I always kind of, kind of, I kind of dug it. No, it's a great song. I, I, no shame there. I, I always liked Europe. All right. Well, here's my last. I know you have one more after this, but um, this one is from 1988. It hit number three, um, and it is a song. I, I gotta say, I mean, it's, it's. This is a guilty pleasure. This one's a guilty pleasure. It's not one that I would be playing in public where people could hear or watch me play it, but it is one that I just, I really do enjoy. It's by Taylor Dane, of all artists. It's called I'll Always Love You. And I, I don't know what it is. I've just always, I, I've loved this song. Uh, she was born Leslie Wonderman. Uh, she was a, a Jew from, from New York. Um, but but Taylor Dane, she pursued a, a singing career for years. She fronted local bands before being discovered singing in a Russian-American nightclub in Brighton Beach, Brooklyn. Uh, she was signed to Arista Records by legendary executive Clive Davis, and uh, she rose to fame in 87 with her debut single, Tell It's My Heart. That's the only song I, I okay. can remember. I'm sure I will remember the one that yeah. you've brought up. Um, the song was an immediate smash, peaking in the top 10 of most major networks worldwide. Um she she did uh, once signed to Arista. She changed her name legally to Taylor Dane. Um, Clive Davis was the one who actually encouraged her because uh, she had she was primarily uh, releasing dance pop uh, hits. And um, I'll always love you, which was her third single and the first to crack the top five on the Billboard Hot 100, uh, was really pushed on her by by Clive Davis. Uh, Dane was reluctant to record the song, but Davis assured her that the soulful ballad would establish her as a more versatile singer and not just a dance diva, which is a crucial step, of course, on the path to relevance. I mean, a number of artists have, have learned that. Um, 
He was right, of course. Unlike Dane's earlier releases, Always Love You was her breakout hit on the adult contemporary charts in 88. And it really paved the way for future up-tempo tracks such as Don't Rush Me and With Every Beat of My Heart to gain acceptance on adult contemporary radio. Um, in 1990, Love Will Lead You Back, which was a Diane Warren composition. Oh, yeah, I remember that. That one peaked at number one on both the Billboard Hot 100 and the Hot Adult Contemporary Tracks chart. Um, the atmosphere in the late 80s, it was just rife. Um, you know, it was perfect for dance music, and Dane managed to stay relevant and on the charts for several more hits, thanks to two successful follow-up LPs, uh, a sexy new look, and plenty of airplay on MTV. <laughs> love you it's just it's one for the ages i do i i love the song it's a guilty pleasure and i had to end end my list with with this one good so, no, that's good um uh, real fast i'm gonna go over the the few alternates i had left that i didn't get to um i had always by atlantic star yeah that would have been a good one yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. uh number one from 1987 um i had uh She's Like the Wind by Patrick Swayze. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 1987 from Dirty Dancing soundtrack hit number three. I will not include that one with our movie uh, episodes. There are much better songs, I think, from the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. But, you know, there's not much. Nothing is says 80s like, you know, Patrick Swayze, I suppose. Um, and the only other... Um, only other contender I had in my alternates list was uh, from 1981. It was Foreigner, Waiting for a Girl Like You. Yeah. So, otherwise, I... Uh, I want to know what love is. Would have been another big one. Yeah, that 85, was another one, too. Yeah. Well, uh, what I found interesting about Waiting for a Girl Like You, though, Thomas Dolby, she blinded me with science. Mm -hmm. He actually is... Um, he was called in to actually do the, the synths that open the track for Waiting for a Girl Like You. Yeah. That was uh, his first time in the studio, and he was just completely you know blown away because you know he'd always uh, remembered foreigners being a hard rock aor format you know classic rock band so you know here he is 
you know, playing soft synths before, you know, what, what essentially was a power ballad. Yeah. Um, and then Dolby, he later uh, worked with uh, Mutt Lang, who produced Foreigners. Everybody. Four album, yeah. Uh, but Dolby also went on to uh, perform with Def Leppard on the Pyromania album, um, which which blew me away. I mean, I, I thought Dolby was just a one-hit wonder. She blinded me with science. But no, he actually, he worked with Mutt Lang. A lot Lang of studio stuff. A yeah. lot in the studio. And yeah, Foreigner... Uh, Def Leppard among others so but those are my my three alternates I did not get to and you have one pick left sir this may be the most melodramatic on the list okay uh, or at least right behind you're the inspiration uh, 85 so right in that sweet spot um, this uh, Trinidad born singer had two huge hits prior to this Caribbean Queen and Lover Boy did you go suddenly I went suddenly. I, that one was on my alternates list for the longest time. He scored huge with this single. Yeah, Billy Ocean. Suddenly, Billy Ocean. Um, couldn't quite, you know, get back to the top spot like like Caribbean Queen, but uh, it did climb to number four on Billboard. Um, like I said, very melodramatic, but there are very few songs on my list that are not. Um, suddenly, life has new meaning. <laughs> to me, there's, music there's up beauty above. up above. Is it music or beauty up above? <laughs> beauty, beauty up above. Uh, yeah. And something, something. Things we never take notice of. of. Yeah. And wake up suddenly and you're in love. I used to think that love was just a fairy tale. Until that first hello. Until that first smile. But if I had to do it all again. I wouldn't change a thing Cause this love is everlasting Suddenly Life has new meaning to me There's beauty up above And things we never take notice of You wake up and suddenly you're in love. I am so glad you included that. Like, that. That was on my alternate list for the longest time, and then I cut it. So. Oh, man, that's... Absolutely. So glad you <laughs> included it. But that's that's it. Like, if someone were to say, like, again, this is probably the, another definitive... Oh, yeah. Slow dance, couple skate song. Oh, without question. Billy Ocean. And, Never and, thought I'd include a Billy Ocean song on the oh, show. When his later tracks, man, like... Uh, get out of my dreams. Get into my car. <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. I mean, it, it got really weird. Some of his later, <laughs> later tracks, um, but no, I uh, no, that, that's a fitting end. What? Do you have any alternates left? That no, we get? my alternates were hello. Oh, which, I, I, that's right. I took a you, lot of yours. You took hello. Another alternate mine was what else here? Um, well, uh, you know, I no, I see it was because we matched on. Um, we matched on Crazy For You. We matched on, what's the one? Oh, I Can't Fight This Feeling. So, one, one more. Next time. Oh, Next Time I Fall In Love. So, okay, I had so. four alternates and three were okay. used up by you. Gotcha. All right. 
So that was it. Now I did have much bigger lists at one time. Richard Marks was on the list for a while there. Richard Marks. I went back and forth. I had to ask my wife because she was the Richard Marks. Yeah, I was just going to say, I remember, I remember. I'm like, do I do right here waiting or do I do like hold on to the night? And she goes, well, you got to do that right here waiting. And I'm like, yeah, but that's a a love song. And isn't that more of an unrequited love song? Like right here waiting? Like, so I just thought about it too much and took off. I I was wondering, honestly, I remember she was a huge Richard Marks fan, which he used to always kind of, you know. Uh, <laughs> used to grumble about. All right, well, we have uh, we have twelve more to to sequence here, so yep. let's get to it. All right, all right, and we are back with our sequence for side B of our couple skates Valentine's Day special. Alan, what do we have? All right, well, track one of side B begins with Tracy Almond's "They Don't Know," and that goes into "The Search Is Over" by Survivor. The Glory of Love by Peter Cetera, followed by Eternal Flame by the Bangles, Amanda by Boston, into When I See You Smile by Bad English, The Flame by Cheap Trick, Carrie by Europe, I'll Be Loving You Forever by The New Kids on the Block, into Leave a Tender Moment Alone by Billy Joel, Suddenly by Billy Ocean, and we end our mixtape with I'll Always Love You by Taylor Dane. So there you have it, folks. 24 of the uh, greatest, that should probably be in quotation marks. <laughs> the greatest. <laughs> the greatest love anthems of the roller rink yes. uh, from the 1980s. Um, I don't know that they're the greatest. I'm sure there are, are others. Um, and, but uh, I mean, so many. There were so many songs to choose from here. But uh, well, hopefully, if you are of age uh, of our Gen X audience, then this brought back some memories. Oh. Maybe some good memories, and eh, maybe some painful ones. But <laughs> but if not, if you happen to be a younger listener or an older listener to the particular our particular podcast here, um, maybe it's a little window <laughs> as <laughs> into uh, what was popular. Because, like we mentioned, a large majority of these song selections hit number one on Billboard yeah. more than any other show we've done. Oh yeah, yeah, we are not. Uh, we're we're usually not looking to to give you like you know the best of the top forty. Um, but this one, you know, it, it was fun. It was fun. There a lot of songs here I would never play again on our podcast but for what we were going for i think we did really well i agree so, so what are you doing this afternoon you want to go over to the north canton skate center uh sure i hear <laughs> no. they have a, a, a rock wall now and some laser we could play some laser yeah tag. they have all a bunch of stuff we I play laser there. tag on roller skates the last time i was there <laughs> i dropped my kid off uh, one of my kids to a birthday party probably 10 years ago yeah i can't say i, I don't know do, do kids today still roller skate? I mean, I really... Younger kids, but probably um, birthday parties, things okay. like that. Well, it's, um, it's still open, so it's somebody still open. Probably someone has to skate. Birthday parties, younger kids. I, would, I don't think teenagers... Uh, I don't know. I should ask. Maybe that's, maybe that's an ironic hangout for them now. I don't know. I mean, I know in a, lot of, in a lot of cities and towns across the nation, roller rinks are long gone. Right. So it's a wonder to me that we even still have one that's open for business. But... Uh, yeah, it is definitely a '70s '80s thing. In fact, you know, at one point, I didn't, I didn't say this before, but I even had Olivia Newton-John and Cliff Richards. They're, they're suddenly, suddenly. I didn't know why I didn't include it. Why? Because it was from a movie. Well, <laughs> you yeah. told me not to include it. Yeah, in the movie. I know, I know, and I didn't include it either. But I came real <laughs> close because, right? It's a skating. As we've, you know, we talked Xanadu on a past episode. 
it is the roller skating, yes. you know, roller skating disco, you know. Oh, I didn't include it. Of, I don't believe it was a single. It, I mean, no, it was. It was it? It was. Yeah. Okay. It, it, uh, top 10. Oh, top really? 10. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's just 70s enough before I started going to the roll arena, so I didn't identify it as yeah. being a well, and song you, to include. But. You know, I and I struggle with that, too, because there was a part of me that really wanted to pull from, like, 1980. In 81, because I didn't feel like that was really represented here. Because, I mean, you still had a lot of 70s artists on the charts. I mean, Ambrosia, oh, yeah. for, for heaven's sake, the Climax yeah. Blues Band. I mean, yeah. I, I was looking at it, and I was like, eh, but that's not the 80s I remember. Right. You know, so. Um, now, what we have, I think, is a fair representation of what we endured when we, you know, turned on the radio and when we went to the dances and to the roller rink, so we, we did good. Well, these special episodes have been fun with uh, our holiday episode and our Valentine's Day episode. Yeah. And um, we will look for you when the weather is nicer and hopefully things are a little bit more opened up. Even if they're not opened up, at least we can go back to eating at restaurants outside and patios and, and doing some outdoor activities rather than sitting inside. It's going to be a long spring. It is. And, and this summer, it has been too long since I've gone on vacation. I don't care if I have to wear a mask. I, I need to get out of out of Dodge. Um, so, uh, without question, it is going to be... Um, yeah, it's going to be a very long spring before we get to that point where we're free to roam. Um, nonetheless, it is time to say goodbye for now. All right. Well, hot funk, cool punk, even if it's old junk, another mix of memories awaits next season. But for now... Press pause, lift the needle, and hit eject, and we will see you in May. <laughs>